Welcome to the Witty and Gritty Podcast, hosted by Brooke and Farron. Your personal growth matters, and we're here to help. Oh, oh! We want to give a listener shout out. I figured maybe we'd try out that sound. <laughs> I was Ooh. pleasantly surprised. Yeah, you were. <laughs> the look of shock on your face. Anyway, we wanted to give a listener shout out. Thanks for leaving the review, A Eaton 88. Here it goes. Love their grit. Refreshing podcast. Brooke and Farron have invested a lot of time and energy with their true passion, helping others find their grit in life. Every episode is entertaining, informative, and encouraging. Highly encourage anyone to listen. Thanks, A. Eaton 88. We appreciate your review, and thanks for listening. You rock. And now, to the episode. All right, episode 34. (laughs) Daring greatly. Today we're talking about chapter 6. If you guys could see the body <laughs> motions that go with these transitions. I get really intense. I love it. Intense. Not like camping, but like intensity. Yes. <laughs> get it? Intense. I love it. I love it. <laughs> camping is intense. Works. Yeah. All yeah. right. So this is chapter six, disruptive engagement, daring to rehumanize education and work. So. Man. This was the chapter we mentioned last week Mm -hmm. about how Brene Brown was going to break it up differently between teachers and CEOs, but then she decided, no, this is applicable for everybody in any leadership role, and she defined leadership as... Um, My favorite quote in the whole book. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, I have it memorized. Yeah, you do. Leadership is when you're in a position to help people reach their highest potential, greatest potential. And that could be whatever role that is, whether you're a coach for the season, Mm -hmm. if it's four-year-old soccer. Like, in that moment, that is, that's the task at hand. So, Mm -hmm. even if you feel like it's an insignificant role to you, maybe it's not to that person. And in that situation, it's not just to help them be the best four-year-old soccer player, it's to help them be the best four-year-old they can be. In general. (laughs) Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. So in the last chapter, we talked about how um, different obstacles dehumanize um, a workforce or a family dynamic. And so in this chapter, we're going to talk about ways to rehumanize um, your situation. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's three things they talk about or that Brene talks about. She says, you got to understand how scarcity affects the way you lead and work you got to learn how to engage with your vulnerability. And then lastly, you need to recognize and combat shame. Um, whether you're using shame tactics or if there is a lot of shaming in your work, culture, or again, uh, your family, home. Yeah, and this might be a thing where you don't even recognize you're doing. She does have an anecdote in this chapter about how this person had no idea that that's what they were doing to their child until... I mean, I think she talks about the mom was 75 and the daughter was 55. And the 55-year-old said that totally changed from that moment on that she she was sorry that she was speaking with shame. And so it changed the way she parented, changed all that stuff. So, again, uh, we'll dive into that. But um, anyone who is in a role, whether that's Little League or President, <laughs> this applies to everyone. And remember, shame, according to Brene Brown... That's the inner dialogue of, I'm a bad person versus guilt, I did a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So, there's that. 
Um, so she interviewed um, some very successful people. Us. And... <laughs> I'm just kidding. We would love a, an interview Someday, with you, though, Brene. Maybe. <laughs> we'll interview for her next research study. Um, but she interviewed Kevin Suris, and she asked him, what is the biggest barrier to creativity and innovation? And his answer was very spot on, in my opinion. But he said, the fear of introducing an idea and being ridiculed. And then if you survive that, um, and people like say, okay, we'll go with your idea. Mm-hmm. Then it's the fear of failure and being wrong. So right. it's like a lose-lose situation. Right. Either here's my idea and everyone hates it. And you get it. shot down or humiliated. Yeah. Or, oh no, they think it's a good idea too. And now mm-hmm. what if it doesn't work out? Or if you're the, or if you're in a situation where the leader is the shaming manager role, then we're going to use this guy's idea. And when it fails, we're going to blame and shame that person as well. So it's that whole complex of, this is scary to even say it, I could be shut down. Then they're going to put it all on me when it fails. I mean, even that, though that's, everyone agreed to it. Yeah. Right. Or they say they're going to get your back. So, again, what way are you leading? And he pointed out, too, that people believe they're only as good as their ideas. And that just really resonates with me, Um try not to take things personal mm-hmm. <laughs> um but my i feel the people people pleaser in me um feels like i'm letting people down when they don't like my idea or solution or when it doesn't go as planned um but i got to remember that that's not who i am it's right. an idea i had right um, we talked about that a lot. Uh, I guess it was maybe two or three episodes ago mm-hmm. about how if you're putting your worth in this book you wrote, or if you're putting your worth in how many likes you get on social media, then your worth is in the wrong spot, and that's going to fail you. Mm-hmm. Man is flawed. It's going to fail you. So, again, remember whose you are, and that's going to help kind of eliminate all that other stuff. Yep. I think a lot of people can definitely relate, but there is good news out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brene goes on to elaborate that her research then to follow up her interview with Kevin Suris, uh, that learning and creativity are inherently vulnerable. So when you learn a new thing, you have to put yourself out there. You're not the expert yet. You're going to have to ask questions. You're going to get stuff wrong. Mm-hmm. And creativity is the same way. I was trying to explain to my oldest daughter she um, did UIL writing, mm-hmm. uh, the writing team, and she was a little nervous the day of the competition, and I tried to just remind her of her why. Like, why did yeah. you try out? And she does. She loves writing stories and making little books, and, you know, I said, well, did you have fun at all the practices, and do you think you've gotten better? And, you know, she's answering yes, and so um, I try to explain, too, like, I don't like or eat sushi and so if I was judging a cooking competition and someone cooked sushi and I wouldn't even eat it man that person would probably feel terrible Mm -hmm. but it's not because they're not a good cook it could be the best sushi ever but you're gonna get a low score from me because I'm good with some mac and cheese and uh, pizza like the normal pizza not (laughs) the fancy pizza (laughs) Just some cheese sauce and pepperoni, and obviously some, I like deep dish 
but we don't get that very often. Hand-tossed is fine. So, yeah, again, I just try to explain to her that, you know, when you're being creative, that it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Um, some people are going to absolutely love it, and then there's going to be people that don't. That's the that's like the quote, you could be the juiciest, best peach in the world, and there's always someone who doesn't like peaches. And ever since I read that, I was like, yes, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, because that would be a lot of people, and no thanks. Mm-hmm. But that was a great parenting tip you gave out with what going back to what's your why. And I know a lot of leaders do this at the the beginning of a quarter, the beginning of the year, or before a launch, or whatever it is, and it's, okay, what is what is this all pointing back to? Like, what is the why? Why are we doing this? And that's what we need to keep our eyes on, not the accolade, not however many likes it is, not whatever awards we win, but why are we doing this in the first place? And I think you could tie that back into this whole idea or sharing your thoughts. You know, if you put something out there, your why is you're trying to contribute and help, but if they say no, what is their why? Is mm-hmm. It's probably not personal. And they also want to do what's best for the fam- your family or your company or mm-hmm. your mops group. <laughs> right. Um, but it's, it's the same. You guys have the same why. You want, both are working towards what's best mm-hmm. um, for your organization. Right. So, again, like you said, not necessarily taking it personally. Um, and good for you for being vulnerable and throwing out ideas because how do we ever advance in anything ever? You People have to be like, hey, have we tried this? Or what do we have to do to do this? So, again, it does take being vulnerable. So good job, you, for saying a new idea. Yep. All right. Um, so it kind of like you were just saying, it talks about how schools, she gives examples about schools and mm-hmm. other corporations that can't thrive without creativity and innovation and learning um, as a company is needing to grow or, uh, man, trends change. Yeah. Uh, even in schools, we talk about how we're preparing kids today for jobs that don't exist yet. Right. And, you know, to some degree, not trying to start a whole debate that, you know, the kids of today are different than the kids that people were teaching 20 years ago. Um, the resources we have are oh, for sure. so different. Um, so yeah, you have to be able to be creative and innovative and willing to learn constantly. Right. Um, and if it's going to thrive, I like the word thrive, mm-hmm. not be. Yeah. Thrive. We're not meant to just survive or just be. We're mm-hmm. meant to thrive. So not only just with life and flourishing there, but with our creativity, with our innovation. I mean, how how else are we going to get better medicine or better procedures or better technology? How are we going to get any of that if we're not trying new things and we're not afraid to fail? Mm-hmm. So what was the quote from, oh, not too long ago, but it was, what, what would I do if I, what's worth doing even if I fail? Mm-hmm. So the worst thing that could happen is it's a flop. Okay, that happens to everybody ever. So... Join the club. Uh, At the book fair this week at our school, there was a book called The Boo-Boos That Changed the World. Um, Ooh. What was that about? um, Like accidental inventions that came Mm -hmm. from mistakes. And so uh, it looks like, as I'm Googling it while we're talking to you guys. So that's how Post-its were made. He was trying to come up with a glue and then ended up, it didn't work how he wanted it to. Because it wasn't sticky enough. Mm-hmm. Here we have post-its. 
just the right amount of stick. So I use those all the time. Way to go, post a guy. Or Velcro. The guy was walking through some burrs, the little sticky things, mm-hmm. and he pulled one out of his shoelace and then looked at it closer and he was like, oh, well, look at that. Maybe yeah. a way to have a joint somehow. Yeah, so if you're looking for a birthday present for a kid that needs a little inspiration, again, the Boo Boos That Changed the World cute book. You can preview it. There's some people that have read it online as well. And we'll link it in the show notes for you. Nice and easy. Oh, yeah. Boom. I appreciate us. Got you. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us go. Is that being vulnerable or just you can be proud of yourself. egos? Okay, great. Um, so uh, we talked about this in the last episode too, but it was a good reminder. Um, she interviewed a man named Ken Robinson. All these people are like big time CEOs or fellow researchers. Um, so if you want to learn more about their background, it's all in the book. Uh, but he said that an organization is not the physical facilities within which it operates. It's the network of people. Mm-hmm. And so I think about that as um, we design all these like pretty buildings. And they are. They're pretty mm-hmm. and they're functional. Modern. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but that's not what's going to turn a company around yep. or guarantee a success of um, a school or even families if we get a new house or when we remodel our house Mm -hmm. then everything will be better so um it's like churches mm -hmm. like the people Mm -hmm. are the church not the building exactly if you take the people out of the church it's just it's just a building so i want to do the hand thing where you do your fingers (laughs) here's Here's the the church church. here's Here's the the steeple steeple. open the doors and see all the people (laughs) i think everyone listening is like doing Doing it it too don't drive off the road safely wait (laughs) just imagine parked right (laughs) so that was elaborating on combating the or being a leader in a culture of the never enough scarcity idea right next is the second point which she talked about is recognizing and combating shame Mm -hmm. so here you have written we have to assess ourselves our organization for signs that shame may be an issue i liked how she talked about this in the book Mm -hmm. like you can if you she talks about just sitting in a facility for maybe 20 minutes and she's able to tell what is it shame is it riddled with shame or not she said hopefully it's not um hopefully it's below the surface level but man if it's like blatantly obvious the second she walks in someone's shaming somebody else then you got a really big problem and that it's probably been happening for a very long time yes which she didn't say this directly but i do feel like it festers yes and then um, can just build up over time. It's like termites. That's, so yeah. when you actually see a termite, that's how you know <laughs> he's not alone. So there's an issue. Now you got to follow the termite back to where it's living. And that's when you usually discover a wildly outrageous problem and there's an infestation. So if it's on, if you walk in and you can see it or you walk in and you feel it or if you're a guest somewhere and it's happening, like that's how you know it's rotten from the inside out, mm-hmm. which is not good. Not good at all. So she helps us learn how to recognize it first and then how to combat it. Yep. So here, so she gives some signs that shame has permeated the culture. 
And uh, some examples have been blaming, gossiping, favoritism, name-calling, um, and harassment. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just makes me feel awful. She talks about she, wa- there, she was interviewing someone, and in her corporation, the boss, I think it was maybe every quarter, had two big whiteboards up of sales or who was tracking the most money. And there was winners written across the top on one and losers written on top of the other one. And people's names were posted. And that person was just like, it was a horrible place to work. I had to leave. She made one mistake. She was at the top of the winner's board, made one mistake, and instantly got moved to the loser top of the loser's board. Which, that's it, nuts. I wanted to know, like... Where's the worst place to be at the top of the losers board or the bottom? Mm. Like, do you go from the bottom you want of to be the loser board to best then of the, the worst, bottom the worst of the, the best? Yeah, you don't want to be at a, at that place. <laughs> That's just how you do that. Don't be at that place because, like, the first loser is second place. Yeah, but I feel like in this situation, <laughs> not with life. Like, that's this is you don't want to be the it's best. It's not loser. a game. It's this is your life, so... Okay. That's the hard part. That was just like... I mean, that's being a good reader and thinking <laughs> well and done. asking myself questions. Well, that's like... We talked about this in the Grit series when Enron did their rank and yank. They would rank mm-hmm. the entire employee sales list and the bottom 15% would get fired. Every quarter they did this. So, obviously, look how that turned out. So, again, things like the whiteboard winners, losers, or the rank and yank, that does not work. I mean, it might work initially, but it does not work over an extended period of time. Mm-mm. There's a book called Lead for God's Sake, and it talks about how you have the hatchet and you have the treasure bag if you're the leader. So are you going to offer the hatchet, which is the punishment, humiliation, or whatever that is, and then you have the reward, like, oh, if you do this, you get this. And the whole book talks about how neither of those is what a good leader needs. They need the love behind it. So, again, going back to the actual people. Mm-hmm. I think this is really important to point out, too. While that management strategy might, um, quote, air quotes here, work for managing your employees, I thought it was important that she pointed out that if employees are having to navigate shame, that they're passing it on to their customers. Or if your teacher staff is navigating shame, they're probably shaming their students. Uh Um, And then in a family standpoint, you know, if you're um, leading your family, disciplining with shame, um, sometimes, obviously them passing it on to when they have kids. Or their friends. Friends is what we see a lot, man. So they, at home, you're training them on how to build and maintain relationships. And Mm -hmm. so their very first relationships are friends. And, do you oh. want it to be shame based? Is that how you yeah. want your kid walking around at school? Either yeah. either shaming or being shamed. I mean, they're not making good friends, and the mm-hmm. friends are only air quotes again being friends with that kid because they're afraid. Yeah, that if they're not their friend, what's going to happen? Right. Oh, they're going to be shamed. Yep, not a way to live. So she talks about how shame need as soon as you see it, hear it, feel it, smell it, whatever. Shame needs to be addressed immediately and without shame. That's the trick. You can't be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you were gossiping. That's terrible. You're a terrible person. That would not be right. Right. I'm going to go tell my friend that you were gossiping about them. 
That's um, killed gossip with gossip. Right. <laughs> Two wrongs don't make a right, but three lefts do. So <laughs> what can we do there? Oh, so you're again, so witty. Oh, you're so <laughs> gritty. <laughs> so I think it's just you have to come up with a way to address whatever it is without shame, and that takes practice and practice before it actually happens. That'd be good. So be thinking about how to do that. Um, I don't know that it's this chapter. We'll let you know in a minute if it is, where she talks about how to know if you're ready to um, talk to somebody before you without shame. Um, I think it's the next chapter. So tune in. There's a little tease. Next week. Um, but yeah, essentially it talks about like you can't uh, approach someone when you're still angry. Right. I mean, uh, we've said this before in other episodes. Like, if there's something, your kid, maybe they, in the mornings, man, they move as slow as can be, and it's a fight to get them to brush their teeth. That's not the time to discuss that. Um, mm-hmm. Later in the afternoon when they get home from school, nicely have a talk about, hey, I noticed this morning that we, you know, had a rough time when it came to brushing your teeth. Why is that so hard? Don't make assumptions and say, it's hard for you because you didn't get enough sleep last night. And if you would go to bed or, you know, mm-hmm. posing those questions. Anyways, I'm giving a whole parent lesson well, here. I, well, but also you gave me this advice maybe maybe about a year ago about how to approach things with your spouse. And y'all are on the same team. Mm-hmm. So it's not me against yeah. you. It's not me against my kids. Like we're all on the same team. So if if you lose, I most certainly lose as well. Mm-hmm. So... Um, what I like how you were even saying in your example, we had a hard time this morning. We need to find a more effective system. What can we do? Like you're using we mm-hmm. and us, our, instead of I mean my, or you and yours. So again, becoming a united front, even just by the way you talk. So when people are like, oh, words are sticks and, or it's not sticks and stones, break my bones, but words will whatever, uh, words will act, it will be a game changer. So mm-hmm. if we're, if we're not careful with how we say things. That is very detrimental. And kids pick up on that. They sure do. Um, So, yeah, just talking about uh, things when you're ready to talk about them and not in the moment, have a game plan moving forward, and then reevaluate. She also talks about how shame can only rise so far in any system before people are disengaged to protect themselves. Because at a certain point, they will be tired of your shenanigans. Mm-hmm. and they will shut down. At that point, they are collecting a paycheck. They are not going to be loyal to you or work hard for you. They're just paycheck collectors. Yeah. So who do you, who would you rather work... Who would you rather have working for you? A motivated person or yeah. someone just trying to get by? Right. I, I guess I realized this, but she put it into words, so it was still kind of an aha moment. She says that disengagement allows people to rationalize... Lying, stealing, and cheating. It's crazy. So, any basically, if you know that you're going to be shamed if you don't make this deadline, if you don't hit your sales, mm-hmm. um, if you don't bring the cute cookies to the school fundraiser mm. bake off, 
Oreos. Uh, no, then you go buy the store-bought cookies and you tell all the other moms that you made them from scratch Ugh. and they're gluten-free and zero well, calories. There you go. And so made without eggs and all the things. Um, it's actually just air. I've brought air <laughs> to the party. <laughs> um, but you, I, it's like, yeah, I, that makes way more sense that mm. it's the, the shame they're avoiding shame and not necessarily that their moral code is off, but man, if uh, what I, yes, people are so fearful of being shamed or humiliated that they will do whatever it takes to not feel that. Mm-hmm. And if they're stuck in a bind where they can't quit the job or leave the spouse or whatever it is, disengagement is going to happen, which is what we don't want. And then that's where morals will be compromised eventually if push comes to shove. Yeah. So just think, like seeing that the line sealing cheating is self-preservation mm-hmm. not condoning it but just like wow i mean again if you own a company I, sh- I sure don't think you want people stealing right or cheating the system per se so. so and on the reverse if you see someone under you who is lying or stealing or cheating then how are you handling adversity whenever that happens or what are you doing when they fail at something. Remember, failure is inevitable, so how are you handling it? Because if the people working for you are lying, stealing, cheating due to disengagement, due to preservation, then what are we doing as a leader? Yeah. Ouch. Sick burn. Uh, <laughs> inappropriate. All right. Um, and then lastly, in this section of um, signs that shame has permitted permeated the culture is considering the outside factors. And so um, I think in schools, it's creating a culture and a mindset and a mission statement, if you will, and sticking to it even if, you know, these five parents who have a lot of say and seem to have a lot of power don't like it, um, just... Sticking together as a team and as a unit and believing that what you're doing is best for kids. Uh, If your family is trying to set some values and, um, man, but having kids in activities and school and project and homework, that can definitely uh, threaten, you know, your family Mm. goals and aspirations. Bill, unexpected hospital bills. Let me just tell you. (laughs) The worst. Those factors can definitely um, run rampant and ruin everything. (laughs) You know what you got for Christmas? Stitches. That's what you got. Snitches get stitches. I don't know. That wasn't relevant, but it rhymed. So I had to say it. Well, and so does this. The blame game. And that's what she talks about next. Nice segue. I like intentional. Yes. So yes. So blaming and finger pointing are often symptoms of shame. So again, that's blame is the discharge of pain or discomfort. So if I'm not wanting to hold that my whoopsie or whatever, I'm going to be like, well, they said that was a good idea, or well, Farron told me that I should (laughs) say that to you, Morgan. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh. Or just how we were talking about earlier, if someone has an idea at work Mm -hmm. and it flops, oh, well, they told me that I was supposed to be doing this. Mm -hmm. I love when I catch a kid, like, doing something. Let's say 
two kids are hitting another kid. And by hitting, it's like, if you're watching our video, then you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like girl fighting. And then one says, well, he did it first or he told me to. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, I'm just like. So then my comeback is always, what if he said to punch me in the face, would you do it? And they're like, <gasps> exactly. No. I don't like to say jump off a bridge. I just, mm. so that's my new one is that I say, well, what if he said to punch me in the face, would you do it? And I kind of look at him like, come at me, bro. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> and then they're like, well, no, of course not. And I'm like, well, hello, then why? Oh. Then we can't do the blaming thing. Yeah. Blaming is not productive. Mm-hmm. Um. It's the shame that needs to be addressed. Right. So if there's blaming going on, there's shame underneath it, and that's what needs to be addressed. So get to the root of the problem. She also talks about cover-up culture, which sounds just like what you think it is. So when it's more important to protect the reputation of a system than it is to protect the dignity of the individuals and communities. So, I mean, it's hard to work for someone if they don't have your back. Mm. So... No, knowing that my boss has my back, that is a total game changer. I'll be loyal to that person. I will follow them. I will support them. Um, if I'm in an environment where someone says something about them, I would easily step in and be like, uh, excuse me. So again, that goes a long way. So again, cover up culture versus um, the loving relationship stuff we've been talking about. She kind of touches, too, on sometimes the favoritism. So if you feel like there's favorites that when they do X, Y, or Z, it gets overlooked. But when you do it, it's, you know, got a spotlight on it. Right. And, I mean, I'm sure kids feel the same way, too. (laughs) (laughs) That that one kid, you know who I'm talking about. (sighs) You hear a sound and you just say their name or you just know their name. Well, I mean, they do... He's not even here today. (laughs) (laughs) They do the behavior they shouldn't be doing 20 times in an hour. And they see one other kid who doesn't make mistakes or get out of line very often. And they mess up once and they see so much more grace. And they're like, what? (laughs) I just did that. I got, you know, in trouble. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, remember, it's not what you're saying it's how they perceive it so in those moments when you want to be like dude no you've done this 20 times a day every single day and we're almost to the 100th day of school um but if that's how they perceive it it's definitely a conversation to go and for sure for sure whether because their perceptions everything and i think that goes even for us as adults working oh yeah any type of management what we perceive, we believe. Right. Whether or not it's always true. And that's hard. That's a slippery slope. Perception is reality. Mm. When reality is reality. But right. your feelings are valid as yeah. well. So it's that balance between let's think it through and come to a rational belief or thought process. I think one thing I've witnessed so many times is people would rather hold on to their belief about it than approaching the person as what I think would be the adult thing to do in, you know, a very respectful adult way. They would rather believe the absolute worst and have that in their mind and heart 
then go talk and figure it out with the person. Right. And I've been in situations where I know both sides of the story and they are both completely wrong and it's awful. And that takes vulnerability, being willing to put your pride aside Mm -hmm. and just go have a conversation. And I know it sounds simple, just go have a conversation, but again, being vulnerable is saying something and you don't know what they're going to say back. Yeah. But at least you tried. You guys could both be waiting for an apology from each other, and then it's never, <laughs> never going to happen. And the more you do have those conversations, the less hard those kind of conversations yeah. get. Right. Speaking from experience. For sure. Because then you realize it's either not that big of a deal, or if it is, I know who I am, I know my morals, all that kind of stuff you can fall back on. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. And most of them end up... Really well. And well, so that's encouraging to have a more. 99% of the time it was a misunderstanding. Uh-huh. Like I, so I have the triple threat of I power walk everywhere at work because it's the most efficient. I have RBF and I'm monotone. And so when I am walking to go tell someone something, I am walking directly at them. My face is not smiling and I'm monotone. People are like, hi, Brooke. Hi. I'm like, hey, what's up? Do you have this thing? I'm like, ah, I really got to work on that. So, gosh, at this year's, <laughs> so I'm in charge of a thing and I was prefacing the intro. I was like, just so y'all are aware, I power walk because it's really efficient. It also burns more calories and I get my cardio in because cardio is hardio. So, and I also have RBF. And you know what? I might not have as many wrinkles later on in life. So, there's that. And then I'm monotone because I, I try really hard. So the <laughs> side note, I've tried to have more inflection in my speech the past week, and my uh, coworkers have just told me that my voice gets louder instead <laughs> of goes up and down. I just get louder. So um, someone teach me how to do that. Is this your words, not mine? The lacking feelings thing are these correlated? I, I don't see why they would be unrelated. Yeah. They've got it's it's got to be like the quadruple whammy then. People love me through it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> just trying to have inflection. I'm still trying and I fail at it. And maybe one of these days I'll have inflection and then I'll know what that feels like. Until then, you get monotone on this side of the mic. Who is it that wanted a heart in the Wizard of Oz? Was it the Tin, tin Man? man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's me. Good old Tin Man. Mm-hmm. No feelings. So Just I feel like I was giving you some feedback there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. I have soaked it in, and uh, I enjoy being the tin man. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, we're going to. Are you? Half truth. Half joke. So that was our segue ever so <laughs> fluidly yeah. into she talks about mining the gap from the previous chapter, which is where you are versus where you want to be, that gap. So mind that gap with feedback, which I don't even like just saying the word feedback. It yeah. makes me uncomfortable. It sounds instantly. really official. Do you mind giving me giving you some feedback? Well, and it's, even like with the microphones, when it goes, is yeah, it feedback? Yeah, like, yes, it is. Even the microphones don't like it. Can't feedback mean like, man, here's some more food to take back to yeah, the house with I like you. It. Yeah. There's one made up. That's my vote. Positive. I like it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's not what she discusses in the book. <laughs> yeah. 
nothing about food, everything about vulnerability. So she says it includes honest, constructive, and engaged feedback. That's what a daring greatly culture has. So honesty, that doesn't, and this is the part that I struggle with uh, because I'm super blunt. Because again, if I get right to it and I don't sugarcoat or beat around the bush, it's a quicker conversation and I'm like, okay, now go do the thing. But honesty also can be said with some nice tone and some inflection. Smile. And a smile. Um, constructive, that means it's helpful, it's productive, it's going to help someone further someone. So again, if we're giving feedback to someone, uh, it needs to be um, not necessarily, we're not saying positive, but is that going to help them go in an upward trajectory? If so, then that would be constructive and engaged feedback, which again, that's a two-way road. Mm -hmm. So that means they needed to have allowed that because if you just go try to give feedback to people, it's not going to be well-received or it will fall on deaf ears, go in one ear out the other. So again, reciprocity is key there. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think the biggest thing to realize is that without feedback, there can be no transformative change. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's some people that are like, yeah, duh, that's why I don't like feedback because I'm here in my comfort zone and I want to stay right here. I mean, that's like if you want a rose bush to grow, you have to prune like the sticky branch things. Mm -hmm. So again, if otherwise it'll choke it out. So it's one of those things where like if you want to get better, this this comes along with it. So again, any type of growth comes from out of the comfort zone and you've got to have that feedback. We talk a lot about that in the grit series too, about having that feedback that is very specific, very targeted from someone that is a trusted, valued person, the man in the arena with you. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe you don't feel a need to give constructive feedback. Uh, maybe negative is the word I should use, mm -hmm. but your employees or your kids, they're still craving feedback, even if it's the kind of feedback to tell them how well they're doing. Right. Um, she says, when we don't talk to the people we're leading about their strengths, they start to begin to question their contributions, kind of like, do I even matter? Right. Uh, Am I even doing anything for this? Do they even know I'm alive mm -hmm. or exist? So... May, you know, maybe you're in a position where you're like, well, this isn't really a problem for me. I don't have to give a whole lot of feedback to anybody. But that's still a problem. You need to be giving positive mm -hmm. feedback, even if there's not an area to address. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. The six to one ratio is so important. So if you are a leader, again, or you know, again, her definition of anyone who's trying to make anyone better, you should always be giving six deposits to one withdrawal. So think of it like a bank account. I would love to have $600 before I get 100 taken out as opposed to <laughs> I've got $100. And I got and I it. 600 right. yeah. So again, 6 to 1 ratio is best practice. And she explains why we don't often um, like really enjoy feedback or enjoy mm -hmm. giving feedback. It can be very uncomfortable if it's going to be a hard conversation. Right. And we aren't very good at it, possibly because we don't do it often. It's really important that you give feedback in a way, like you said earlier, that inspires growth and, again, engagement, the opposite of the disengagement. So I'll be vulnerable here. I So whenever it comes to Morgan giving me constructive 
feedback because obviously if that relationship's not going right, then what am I doing? You know, like it'll be very hard for me to make any other relationship work if, I mean, aside from Jesus, if mine and Morgan's relationship isn't where it needs to be, that's, it's on my mind. So my thing that I do is I get way too defensive right off the bat. Cause I'll be like, well, I didn't have, I did it or da-da-da-da. and he's like, you don't have to be defensive. I'm just letting you know, like if you get a chance, I'm like, oh, oh, so you, <laughs> so again, my thing is I get way too defensive and as a one in my head, that was the most effective system. I had a plan for why I did that. So for that to not be right in someone else's eyes, whenever ones, you know, cause they're always right, right? Because <laughs> they did it the perfect way. So that's where I struggle with that as far as Enneagram slash getting feedback goes. So again, if someone were to lead with all of the strengths first, it will be well received. There, <laughs> I guess it was a few days ago, Morgan was telling me something. He was giving me feedback, but in the middle of it, and he was like, and you're beautiful and intelligent and you're so wise and blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> And so, and then he said whatever he was going to say. I don't even remember what we were arguing about. Perfect. Exactly. Well done. And I walked out to, because I was going to the grocery store and I came back and I said, Morgan, well done on like the beautiful, smart, intelligent thing. He's like, yeah, I'm learning. Yes. (laughs) That's wonderful. Is he listening to our podcast and we don't even know? Are you? (laughs) Hello? Leave a review. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyways. Well. As in relationships, workplace, where wherever it be, mm-hmm. if you can normalize discomfort, that will also help in the area of giving um, feedback. And we're all about growth and making progress and helping right. you close the gap between where you are and where you want to be. And so if you just come to expect discomfort... Mm-hmm. Um, Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, then you're, you're going to be set. She talks about how uh, B Money talks about how <laughs> when she's teaching a professor at Houston or in Houston, she um, says, you know, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not learning, and that's gonna be a concern that we need to address. Right. So setting that expectation from the get go, um, normalizing discomfort also reduces anxiety, fear, and shame. Mm-hmm. So if you're constantly uncomfortable, it becomes the norm. And so there's not these random unexpected times of yep. discomfort and you never know when the next one's coming. And so that anxiety and fear that you would maybe attach with it. And if two people are in agreement with this, so like mm-hmm. husband, wife, or best friends, or a kid, parent, student, teacher, whatever that is, if you can again normalize the uncomfortable so much more growth will happen on both ends of the spectrum too that is a really important thing that you point out this is a conversation that you have up front yes um ideally you have a mutual goal that a common goal that everyone's working to you have values that you guys have values or rules um i like your fair fighting um blog entry that you did so we'll have Thanks, to buddy. link that in there yes So these upfront expectations and goals, and in that meeting or setting those up, everyone understands that there's going to be discomfort and how we're going to work through that, again, as a team. Right. 
Awesome. Look at that. Job buddy. Thanks, friend. Yeah. Uh, this was really neat, too. She quotes again. You have to go read more about this person she's quoting. Dennis S. Sleepy. <laughs> yeah, that one. That guy. Uh, he talks about how you can examine your struggles in the light of your talents can, and capacities and competencies. So if you look at a problem while n looking at the tools you have, the gifts you have, at how to approach it, then it's not so much a deficit is how I took that. Right. So kind of like you're giving yourself those own deposits and withdrawals. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, this is one area of life that I really could improve upon, and I have all this other stuff rocking and rolling. How can I use what I'm already good at to help me in an area that I'm not as strong in? That's awesome. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm really good at law compliance... For example, how can I use that with helping your coworkers in a certain area? So mm -hmm. if you're really good at that one thing, you could help them teaching them ethical email methods or whatever. So that however you want to. sounds exciting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm such a one. <laughs> very necessary and very real oh life example. Gosh. Thank you, Farron. Feel free to come up with a more fun example okay. on the spot right now. I'll wait. <laughs> now I just want to leave some awkward silence. Okay, let's say it's eating healthy. And you're like, well, I don't even know. But you're really good at researching and organizing with cute planners. So you say, you know what, self? I do not know how to eat or cook in healthy ways. So I'm going to use my research skills and make a mm -hmm. cute grocery list that's on budget and then hopefully I just like the food and I'm not eating it. I gotta say Farron that was a way better example than I had. <laughs> I'll You're stop giving it and intelligent uh -huh. wise <laughs> and wise strong, such a passionate yeah. yeah keep it rolling. All of all the things. I will take your feedback. And I will leverage it for good and not evil. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> OMG. Yep. All right, carry on. So I like how she talked about, she gives the whole sitting on the same side of the table analogy. And this is going into approaching those difficult conversations um, and working with or being in a family with people when you're overcoming a disagreement or... What? I'm just laughing because what you're about to say is like the exact thing I need to work on. <laughs> yeah, so you remember earlier how Brooke <laughs> mentioned her power walk and face and body language? Yes, all those things were examples <laughs> in this section. Of what not to do. Okay, so you get called into like the principal's office and you can just picture it, right? He's sitting in a big chair. It's a he, of course, right? Sitting in a big chair with a rather large desk, and you get in the between, tiny you know, baby chair on the other side. His desk is elevated. Yes. Uh -huh. So you have to like look up, mm -hmm. and your feet can't touch the ground. It's a, it's just bad. That's usually me in any chair anyway, because I'm so short. Mm, I wouldn't know Struggles. what that's like. Uh, it's more like sitting in the kids' chairs and kneeing yourself in the chin for me. <laughs> but uh, anywho, so as opposed to setting that tone and atmosphere, she talks about 
this sitting on the same side of the table. And I remember um, being a new teacher, they talked to us about this with parent-teacher conferences. And mm-hmm. when we have big ARD meetings, we try to put the parent, you know, where they feel in the middle or part or sitting on the same side of the table. Mm-hmm. It communicates this mutual respect and that we're on the same, same team. team. Jinx! Oh my gosh. I get on to my kids because they do that constantly. <laughs> and then I just did it. I, I love it because it's an easy way to get the subconscious on the same level. Like you're already getting little wins for what, like whatever you're about to say. Like if, I, if I'm about to have a hard talk with Morgan, like we'll sit on the couch together. Mm-hmm. Same level, same side. Like it's all subconscious. We're on the same team there. Mm-hmm. That's all good. And this is the part where she gives the engaged feedback checklist. And that's um, the part where, are you ready to have this difficult conversation? Um, And then she goes over again uh, how to deliver that message. Mm -hmm. For example, um, can you hold someone accountable without shaming or blaming? Uh, You know, are you willing to do your own part in the matter? So again, mm-hmm. with the kid example from earlier saying we, because I'm sure that I didn't make the situation better in brushing the teeth with my attitude or tone or threatening consequences in the manner that I did it. So um, this team we approach is a great mm-hmm. method for sure. Yeah. She also talks about the body language. So are you like how are you sitting? Are your arms crossed? I mean, there's there's a ton of books on body language whenever you're public speaking. Like if you watch public speakers, there's something called the steeple, like the upward steeple, and they'll if you're watching the video, upward steeple or like downward steeple is more uh, passive. So again, there's different ways to talk to people for certain things. So uh, open palms up is a good one. Open arms, palms up. Mm, not having That's your hands good. behind your back. Yep. So visible hands is good. Um, tone, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, facial expressions, same. I am a robot. So. I love you. I will work on it. And then she ends the chapter with the courage to be vulnerable. And again, she's gonna, there's a lot of quotes in there from very successful people. Mm-hmm. And she starts with Gay Gaddis from T3, the think tank down in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And she explains that when you shut down vulnerability, you shut down opportunity. We talked about this a lot, too, with, as far as the feelings go. If you shut down certain emotions, you shut them all down. Your brain can't compute just shutting down passion or just shutting down anger. You shut them all down. So if you're going to shut down vulnerability, you're shutting down opportunities there. And I feel like a lot of the examples have been from a leadership position down that like if you shut down vulnerability, then the people under you aren't going to produce. But I felt like in this part, it was if you aren't vulnerable, you're missing out on opportunities to further your own desires um so you know if you're like well I want to get in shape but I want to be in shape before I go to the gym that's might Mm -hmm. not work the way you think so you know I'll start going to church when I'm when I'm at peace when I'm a better person (laughs) what have you right um she also talks about she talks um to the CEO of Lululemon Lululemon Lulu (laughs) However you want to say it, clearly I can afford it. So <laughs> I'm glad you 
tackled that one. I got you, girl. Her name is Christine Day. Mm-hmm. I can say that. Way to go. But Sorry. it's not telling people, but letting people discover it on their own. But right. I call this the whitewashing the fence technique. Yes, you've mentioned this before. Thin. I love yeah. it. So. so instead of like telling my kids we're going to clean up, it's like... Y'all want to have a race to see mm-hmm, who puts mm-hmm. their clothes away the yeah, fastest? I like it. So, like, kind of if you're trying to teach your kids the right answer, you can't give them the right answer. You need them to think through the process on what. So what do you think's a good idea? So, like, if a kid says, hey, give me that, for example. Oh, okay. And then the sentence stem stuff like you were talking about mm-hmm. um, a couple of episodes ago. Like, oh, let's try to rephrase that. Could you please... Oh, yeah. And then the kid might fill in the sentence, or you can do one word at a time. If you got to mm-hmm. do the whole sentence, then you practice academy. Okay, well, you repeat that back to me. So you can lead them to good ideas. It's kind of like the Love and Logic book. Do you want red socks or blue socks today? Uh, blue socks. Great. They yeah. pick socks. You gave so. them two choices that you are okay with, mm-hmm. but they feel like they got to choose. And- that also gives them room to perform. So if it's, again, if people are coming up with the idea, they'll take more ownership of it and they'll want to do it as yes. opposed to no do it this way. Whenever you could have led them to that and then they you get buy-in there. Well, this past Christmas, um, we went to see Santa very late in the season. Yeah, like you did. a couple days before Christmas. <laughs> and my kids refused to write a Santa list, but that day decided they were going to ask Santa like the tw- on the 23rd they were going to ask Santa for Santa's things. got some shopping to do <laughs> Santa I thought may have already like wrapped and packaged the presents possible oh um but <laughs> they wrote a, an idea or two and then couldn't think of anything and so I you know was like well what do you like to do do you like to do legos yeah, yeah, I do. Do you like to play outside? Uh-huh. Well, what do you do outside? Well, we like to play soccer. Oh, do you need some soccer? Anyways. Well done. It was all their idea. Yeah, it was. Because if I would have said, it. how about a Lego set, they would have said, no. How about a Barbie? No. Santa's not getting you a Barbie yet. <laughs> Late delivery. Hmm. <laughs> Return policy. Santa doesn't have Amazon Prime. Or return policies. <laughs> well done. Um, I did like the little shout out about athletes are mm-hmm. basically awesome. <laughs> <laughs> she said athletes are used to winning as well as losing. They know how to handle and fix defeat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be sad about a loss for a little bit though. For sure. I definitely need a 10-minute don't-talk-to-me barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've learned over time that, like, whenever we were, when we only had, like, 10 minutes to, like, you, that's all you had. So you either get to, how do you want to spend the 10 minutes with the people who came to watch you? Yeah. So you can be mad in a little bit. Delay your anger. <laughs> that's what I learned. Um, Healthy. I don't know that that's... <laughs> Healthy. Call me on it. Healthy. Yep. Sure. <laughs> uh, anywho. So, just another thing that was discussed in this chapter was that leadership is scarce. And why is it scarce? Because it's it's challenging. It's It's uncomfortable. Can't please everybody. I just went back to the Teddy Roosevelt quote that, like, everyone has an opinion on 
what the principal should be doing or the coach or Mm -hmm. their manager or if they were boss. Mm -hmm. But they absolutely have no desire or aspiration to ever be in those positions. Exactly. And so, man. Mm -hmm. You want my job? Go for it. No. See, it's, it's, it's hard. It's challenging. So if you are put in a leadership position, just make the most of it. Yeah. Listen to the people in the arena. Yep. And find that circle. So if you're a principal, you need principal friends mm-hmm. to speak life into you. And maybe a principal mentor who's seasoned, yep. for example. Seasoned like Lowry's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great way to end it. Everybody go use some Lowry's on your next meal. And think of us. Yeah. <laughs> Every time you see it. Lowry's is, you know, a gritty consistency. Sure. Uh, sponsor us. okay we'll see you later bye thanks for listening to the witty and gritty podcast join us at wittyandgritty.blog where you can subscribe to our newsletter check out our blog and listen to more episodes we're here to help you become your best self with a community that cares 